0: And welcome to the January 23rd, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is my neighborhood, this is my life, but this is our podcast journey. I want to welcome you to the highly anticipated edition of Suboxone 101. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. And again, welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's great to have you aboard tonight. I am certainly happy to be back with everybody. And, uh, you know, this has been, uh, like I said, a highly anticipated episode. And I urge those of you... Who are not uh, familiar with what Suboxone actually is, I urge you to hang around and really listen to this podcast because uh, we are addressing addiction issues without a doubt, and although Suboxone is certainly in a class of its own, we are going to address some different kinds of drugs I I have no choice but to talk about my my journey of addiction which led me to suboxone Uh, that's probably what I'm gonna end up starting out as so you know those of you who might right now be uh, abusing opiates uh, heroin something along those lines you know Percocets uh, they all fall into the uh, same category you know, heroin is, is absolutely, my goodness. I mean, you know, back in the day, I have to tell you, I will never forget one of the drugs that I rarely speak about when I'm talking to my audience on this podcast is something, uh, you know, that, that a lot of us don't know a whole lot about. I happen to know a whole lot about is anab- anabolic steroids. And the interesting thing, the reason why I talk of heroin and anabolic steroids is because at the age of 19, I uh, I abused anabolic steroids. It might have even been a, a year before that, I'm not sure, maybe around 18, um, well, let's just say in between the ages of 17 and 19. I don't particularly know for sure. What I can tell you is that uh, I, I, I belong to a group of friends who I guess you could refer to as... as uh, I wouldn't say muscle heads by any stretch of the imagination. They were healthy men. They were healthy boys at the time. Uh, They worked hard and they worked out. And me, you know, Mr. Joe, uh, when I was a baby Mr. Joe, you know, just a just a little old high school Mr. Joe, uh, I, I will tell you that I graduated high school at exactly 138 pounds. So I was a skinny Mr. Joe when I graduated. I graduated high school at 17 years old. And my group of friends were big dudes, you know, and uh, definitely big guys. Um, You know, I was jealous. I was definitely jealous of the fact that they had this tremendous amount of size on me. And with a little bit of peer pressure, a little bit of jealousy combined, and rightfully, you know, rightfully so when it comes to, uh, having bipolar disorder, whether it was fully emerged at that time in my life, you know, decisions, making uh, impulsive, horrifying decisions was certainly within the, the realm of possibility when I was even 17, 18, 19 years old. So I didn't think twice about taking an anabolic steroid. And I could tell you the anabolic steroid that I took at that time was something called Testoviron. Don't even know if the anabolic steroid is out anymore, but I gained in a matter of three short months, the amount of weight that I gained was 138 pounds. I went up to 176 pounds in a matter of three months. So you could only imagine my parents at the time, you know, not only did they see me grow in tremendous amount of size, what they did see was an attitude change. And, uh, you know, I was... I was violent or aggressive at times to begin with. We spoke about a couple of my episodes out on the baseball field. This only added to it. And my parents immediately, immediately noticed an even more drastic change in my attitude. And I will never forget, I was at the gym, working out, of course. And at the time, guys, we did not have cell phones. For those of you who don't know life without cell phones, there was a time when we had beepers. And I rarely got a beep from my parents. Beepers, you know, pagers, that's what they were called. And basically somebody would page you. They would put their phone number in this little box that you carried around. It would beep and it would alert you that this particular number was calling you. And if it was real important, you know, one of your friends, the number would be followed with a 911 and you knew you had to call that person back. But my parents, they rarely beeped me amazing, you know, We used to, we now we use the word text, <laughs> but they would rarely beat me, but they beat me on this particular day, and I did not answer them, because, you know, I was young, and uh, I was the boss, I was in charge at the time, so I'm not going to answer them, I'm working out, well, they beat me again, and they beat me again, so finally, I, I, I left the gym, and I walked over to, I, I remember the uh, name of the gym, I'm not going to tell you the exact name of the gym. It was actually a, a gym that's no longer in business in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. But I walked to a store close by. It was in a big shopping mall, shopping center, uh, not a shopping mall. And I used a pay phone at the time to call my parents. And here you go again, guys, no cell phones <laughs> at the time when I was 17 or 18 or 19 or whatever age I was in terms of that working out. I'm going to say 18. I had to be about 18. Because I was still, this is before I went away to college and left Mr. Joe's neighborhood. I was still around Mr. Joe's neighborhood. So I called my parents from the pay phone and my and my uh, father, he actually answered. And uh, I don't like to use foul language on my podcast, so I'm going to refrain from exactly what he said. But in a nutshell, he told me to get my butt home and use different language than that. And I knew when my parents were angry about something, and I knew when they were serious about something. And, you know, as a child, you, you, you go home, and you know when you're in trouble for something, and when you don't know what it is, it's even worse. So my buddy dropped me off, and I was all alone. And I remember actually going to the front door, and before I walked in the front door, I wanted to stall even a little bit more because I was so unsure as to what... The problem was, so I said, "You know what? Let me go around the backyard." So I went about around the backyard, and I walked up the stairs, and my heart is beating out of my chest, and I'm saying to myself, "What in the world can I have done?" And as I approached the sun deck, is what we call it. It was like a, a you know a stairway, a big flight of stairs that led to a sun deck that was attached to the house, in which there was a sliding glass door. So I peeked in the sliding glass door, and what I had seen was all over the countertop were my needles and syringes and all the anabolic steroids that I had been hiding in the house, which I thought I was hiding well and apparently I was not. So the moral of the story is those those anabolic steroids were all over the house and my parents, who were, you know, big time seventies people, I guess you can say, who knew a whole lot about heroin Uh, and I don't believe, I believe my father had told me that he did try heroin at one time, but the the moral of the story is they were under the impression, because they had no idea what anabolic steroids were, they were under the impression that I was shooting heroin at the time. And I don't know if it really uh, relaxed them to know that it was not heroin. I know I gave them some kind of a nonsense story of how I was jealous, and you know, and, and I sit here and I tell my audience that I really was. It was, it was peer pressure. It was my own stupidity. It was my own impulsiveness, and it was just idiotic thinking as as a young man who um, you know really didn't care too much about his life, obviously. And I went ahead and I shot needles into my own buttocks and my own shoulder, and um, I did that for for quite a long time. So I don't know if it was a relief to my parents to know that it was anabolic steroids rather than heroin uh... but they were not very happy with the situation and uh... i will tell you this that later on in my college years although i was very very against um, all kinds of drugs other than alcohol and marijuana i was drinking for a period of time at school Other than the nine months in which I was experienced uh, those panic attacks and the anxiety that we spoke about in Anxiety 101, I spent the rest of my days away at school drinking alcohol and injecting anabolic steroids the entire time. So uh, Mr. Joe, who graduated at 138 pounds, actually got up to 240 pounds at one point in my life. And um, I look like a complete moron absolute complete idiot, you know, anybody who would look at me would know, you know, the, 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 you know, when you're on anabolic steroids, everybody, there's a puffiness to you, there's a bloatedness to you, especially when you're not eating right, and you're drinking alcohol, and it's just a recipe for disaster, and I'm very, very fortunate that I'm still alive here today to even talk to you guys, so I'm grateful for that, um, nevertheless, um, heroin is not something that I ever tried. That is actually one drug that I've never engaged in. But what I did engage in is uh, opiates. And I explained a little bit about how my buddy um, had, uh, I guess, convinced me into starting with Vicodins. And uh, shortly after, you know, I wanted to update you on my current mental state, and I'm not going to. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm doing great. But <laughs> before I continue, I just want to tell you, I'm doing wonderful. I have increased, I've doubled my dosage of Lamictal uh, because it was the two-week time frame. So I doubled my dosage, and I am absolutely feeling wonderful. So that's really good news. got some issues going on with Sarah Lee, my 14-year-old, but we're going to save that for next podcast. Back to my addiction issues, uh, after the Vicodin's, when I had become um, involved with opiates, it's, it's amazing because um, you know I didn't know a whole lot about them. And what I can tell you is that uh, I, I guess I was what you refer to as somebody who enjoyed the process of snorting things. You know, t- uh, taking a pill and quote-unquote swallowing it Um, although it probably would have done just as much good, if not better, got me a better high. um, You know, that didn't do it for me. I was what you call somebody who uh, enjoyed snorting the drugs that uh, I could get my hands on. Now, I had been clean and sober from the cocaine, and I moved on to the opiates, and um, from what I can remember, it was Oxycontin. Those were the uh, pills that I had gotten my hands on, and the amount of money that I spent on on those pills alone was just absurd. I remember, um, I don't remember exactly what they would call them, Uh, something like a big dog. I, I really don't know, guys. What I can tell you is that I abused opiates for only a period of six months, which a lot of people find fascinating to know, that the Suboxone that I was on, now Suboxone, what Suboxone is is it's a drug and um... i will explain exactly i will give you the definition of suboxone um, it's not a full uh... opiate it is uh... it's a different different kind of makeup um, other than a regular opiate um, but i will explain that in one second i only abused uh... and i say only with with all due respect because that doesn't matter how long you're abusing a drug you abuse a drug that's it you're abusing a drug and I abused opiates, uh, namely Oxycontin, for a period of six months. And um, again, I was somebody who enjoyed snorting the drugs that I would abuse. And I actually recall one of the ways that I had come up with it. I I used to come up with a way to snort these drugs. And it's actually very disturbing. Um, At the time, I was a homeowner with my ex-wife. And We owned a pool, an above-ground pool, and I would imagine that underground pools actually have the same kind of setup in terms of the filter. Um, But, you know, every pool has a filter. And in order to connect the filter to whatever device, you know, in the pool that spits out the water, you kind of connect the filter to the spout, I guess you could say. And, And when you connect the filter to the spout, you have to use a clamp in order to tighten that up. And the clamp, which is basically a silver clamp, and for those of you, you, you know, look it up if you're not sure what I'm talking about. You could probably just put in a filter clamp or just a regular clamp, and a clamp is something that, you know, looks like silver and um, actually has a flathead screw in it so that when you turn the screw, it will tighten it or it will loosen it, and you can clamp something and tighten it and, and in this case, tighten a, um, a filter. Um, or the hose of a filter. You would wrap it around the hose of a filter to make sure that that hose was secured tight onto the filter wall, let's say. So what I did was I took the clamp, and the clamp had these ridges on it, almost like raised ridges, and uh, I would unroll the clamp, and I would take the pill, and I would rub the pill up against the clamp so that I would be able to create a very fine powder. Uh, and and essentially, that was what I was able to do with that clamp. Is I was able to rub that clamp against the pill, and I would rub it onto uh, you know a mirror uh, or a hard surface, and it would turn into completely fine, fine you know dust-like particle, uh, probably even more fine than somebody who would be snorting cocaine. Because uh, you know, unfortunately, you know I don't want to talk about cocaine, and I don't want to be a trigger for those of you who might be. Um, trying to quit drugs or try to stop drugs because a lot of times these conversations uh, can be a trigger for those drugs. So um, if that's the case, I want you to hit fast forward twice right now because I'm only going to discuss this for another minute. And most podcast applications, they forward you about 30 seconds. So hit the button twice, okay? And It'll get you about a minute ahead in the podcast. Um, But what I would do is I would you know, break this up uh, with the clamp. And uh, again, with cocaine, if you have good cocaine, there's rocks inside the cocaine, almost like a rock-like, and it would be very difficult to break up. Well, not with a Oxycontin type of pill. You just rub that up against the clamp, and you have this dust-like particle. And uh, I would take a straw that I would go get from a store or, you know, McDonald's. And you know, I'd actually walk into... Um, you know, a McDonald's or a Dunkin' Donuts or a, um, you know, whatever, whatever store was nearby. And I'd go get a straw and I'd cut it. And I would use that particular thing to snort the Oxycontin. And, um, you know, I had absolutely no idea how addictive opiates were. I had no idea what it meant to be addicted to this drug mentally No idea what it meant to be physically addicted. Uh, I had met a young man who had happened to be a paraplegic. Um, And he was, uh, you know, an opiate user. And, of course, he was introduced to me by a friend of a friend. And um, I used to actually take this man to his appointments because it was important for me to get uh, the Oxycontin from him. So I would, you know, take him, and I don't remember what he charged me, I don't remember the price, but I would actually take this man, and I would put him in his wheelchair, and I would take him to his appointments, and I would take him home, and, you know, it was so important for me to get my drugs that um, that's what I would do. And I remember one time, before I knew anything about uh, opiates, probably about three months into my addiction... Uh, I called this man up, and I said, you know, are we going to your appointment today? And uh, he told me he canceled. And at that time, I had been out of the OxyContin supply that he had previously given me. Well, my goodness, I had absolutely no idea what was in store for me. And um, for those of you who are unaware of the withdrawal symptoms that come along um, with... Opiates, uh, you know, my goodness. The withdrawal symptoms immediately kicked in, um, uh, you know, and, and, and they are p- pretty intense. Um, you know, you have this feeling like you just can't move, and I remember having that feeling no matter um, what I did. It felt like I had cement attached to my feet, and I couldn't walk, had trouble talking. Um, and then the physical symptoms would kick in um, where I would have to go to the bathroom immediately because, um, you know, usually, um, diarrhea because, you know, for weeks I would be backed up because opiates, they would stop you from being able to, um, go to the bathroom properly. So, you know, all those acute withdrawal symptoms would start to kick in and very similar to like what somebody deals with when they withdraw from, uh, heroin, same exact thing for the most part, you know, um, You get sick. You get sick is almost like you have the flu times 100. You know, I guess that's the best way to describe it. The flu times 100, where you just feel like the only way you're going to get better is to go out and get more drugs. So what you could choose to do is you could choose to go out and get more drugs, or you can do what I did. And you could end up being on Suboxone. And, you know, the way I got to Suboxone is, is it's actually a very, very sad, sad story. Um, guys, you know, I had been... And we have to go back to the bipolar aspect, okay? One of the things with bipolar disorder uh, that we, we talked a little bit about in Bipolar 101 is the fact that um, you know, many people with bipolar disorder... They uh, they will engage in sexual relationships outside of their own marriage, um, outside of their own relationships. They, they're unable to, um, you know, really think about the consequences, and, uh, you know, I was no different, unfortunately. I was no different in the sense where uh, there was a particular time in my life where I had separated from my, my ex-wife, and uh, you know although I had separated from her, you know it was was just my god I wasn't thinking straight not that things were good with my ex-wife okay but it's amazing how I was so quick to find another woman immediately Um, you know I guess one day we had a fight and then the next day I'm out and I'm finding another woman at work and then two days later I'm out of the house bags are packed and I'm living with mom and dad and bam, there you go. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm in love with this new girl. Okay, so that's, that's. I don't want to concentrate too much on this, but imagine being like that. And on top of all this, you're also on medication for bipolar, which you're not taking regularly, and you're abusing Oxycontin. And I will never forget, I spent the evening with this particular um, woman in a, in a different location other than... my my parents home which I had happened to be staying with and I was using opiates and again it was amazing because I guess I still didn't know the real effects of what opiates or what stopping opiates would do to me I just thought that you know Like, yeah, you take a little bit here, you take a little bit there. You know, I never knew how much I was really doing and how much it was going to affect me. But what I do know is because I spent the evening with this woman, I decided to just not take opiates for that particular evening. So I probably used opiates until 6 o'clock. And and, and I remember that young woman meeting me at this hotel around 10 o'clock at night and around... Seven or eight o'clock. I, I was craving more opiates, and then the withdrawal started to kick in, um, and I actually fell asleep in the hotel room. And this individual came and woke me up, and I had an extremely hard time uh, even functioning with this particular person in every way, shape, or form because I was so uh, you know I was I was withdrawing, or at least the withdrawals were starting. And I remember the very next day when we woke up, my good God it was that feeling again where I just felt like complete garbage you know I felt like I had come down with the flu I remember having to go to the bathroom so badly that I had to excuse myself and you know I pretended to take a take about an hour and a half long shower and basically what I would did in that hour and a half period of time was I went to the bathroom non-stop so finally I was able to escape went back to my parents house and I had used the excuse of being bipolar at the time and said I had fallen into a deep dark depression, I had called in sick to work that particular day, and I probably laid in bed for a total of 15 hours. I remember my parents being extremely concerned about me, and I remember um, them not knowing that I was doing anything with opiates. Um, But I do also remember then me climbing up the stairs when I had finally awoken, crawling to my parents and telling them that I had been once again abusing drugs. This time around, it was OxyContin. And I said, I need help. I need help. And uh, at that point in time, my ex-wife had accepted me. And this is, what's amazing is, I know I'm saying this story rather quickly, but this is how it all unfolded. Within days, this is what went down, because that day, I was so desperate that I called my ex-wife, and I begged her to come home, because I was so sick. And, you know, my parents, they did not really want to deal with my Uh, drug issues, so I called my ex-wife, and before you know it, she had searched for me, and she said, I want you to come home. I found somebody that will help you, so I went home. She found a doctor for me, and this was a Suboxone doctor, and I got to tell you guys, I had only been abusing opiates, like I said, for a period of six months, and uh, I, I saw this doctor, and I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. So for a period of three years, I was on this drug, and I started out at a rather high dose, um, and I do know some people start out around 16 milligrams of Suboxone. Now, what is Suboxone? Let me tell you right now. Suboxone, guys, it's basically a prescription medication, okay, and it's actually an opiate. Uh, Believe it or not, it's in the opiate category. Sometimes they refer to it as a narcotic. That's where I get a little bit of confused. You know, I'm a little confused. Um, You know, I don't have the textbook definition in front of me, but I do know it's what they call a partial opiate uh, agonist, or uh, something along those lines, if I remember correctly. And what that basically means is um, it, it contains, it's not a full opiate. So it's not going to get you high, the way that a regular opiate would would get you high. It actually contains uh, two two drugs within the Suboxone, and those two drugs are called buprenorphine and naloxone. Okay, and what they do basically is um, that that bup. Okay, that first one we'll call it bup is um, is that partial opiate ag- uh, agonist, which basically blocks you from uh, I'm sorry, basically stops the with the, the cravings prevent you. And-, and guys please reach out to me if I'm if I'm if, I'm, if I got this wrong. The bupro bupe, it will stop the cravings and it will feed the withdrawals and basically stop the withdrawals from happening. So it puts you into an instant state of not feeling high, but at least stopping the acute withdrawal symptoms. And it's very important that you actually, you don't want to take it too close. In other words, if you've abused opiates and you take the Suboxone too close together, while you, you know, um, let's say you abuse and then you take too short in between, it's almost like you want to start going into withdrawals and then take the Suboxin, and then instantaneously it makes you feel like a new person. It stops the withdrawals, stops all the acute withdrawal symptoms, whatever they may be—the sweating, the chills, um, the shaking, the uh, vomiting, the throwing up, the the, the diarrhea, um, the flu-like symptoms—puts a complete stoppage to it. And then that that naloxone, which is also another ingredient within the Suboxin, that. Prevent you from getting high. So what that does, what I mean by that is, if you were to go out and take an opiate and think that you're gonna be on Suboxone and at the same time go uh, t- pop a pill of uh, Vicodin or a Percocet or, or even shoot heroin, you can't get high. It completely blocks you from getting high. Now it will be in your bloodstream and you will absolutely be able to tell that you've taken that drug And one of the things that this doctor would do every time she would see me on a monthly basis is she would test me for drugs. And I could say without a doubt, um, I never, once, here's the interesting thing. Once I went on Suboxone, that was the end. Absolute over end. My clean date was uh, March 27th of 2007. That is the last time that I have ever I had ever tried an opiate, and that exact day, or the the next day, so the 20, 27th, I had stopped opiates. On the, by the twenty eighth, I was in full blown withdrawals, and I was at this doctor's office, and uh, you know every month she would check me for drugs, and uh, you know I had clean tests at all times. I went to this person, and he is the kicker. I was a patient of his for three three months. uh, Three months, God! If only, okay, three full years. Now, what stopped me? What What made me come off of the Suboxone was not by choice. I had explained to you guys in a previous podcast that um, there was a time in my life where I was coming off Cymbalta, and I happened to be on all those regimens of medication at one time. The Depakote, the Cymbalta, uh, the Vistarol. I was also on the Suboxone. Um, I was on the, uh, Abil- you know, all those drugs that we talked about the last time. The Lamictal, the whole works. Um, I was on the Suboxone while I was on that. And I had that horrible situation where I, I took myself off all the medications through the guidance of a doctor. and. Uh, Unfortunately, I was not guided properly with my uh, weaning off of the Cymbalter, and I I basically lost my mind. I went into a complete psychotic, manic state in which my ex-wife had uh, fled Mr. Joe's neighborhood because she was frightened of me. And, you know, I never really got into the situation, guys, but I will tell you that what happened that particular time, and I hope you understand that, There's a reason why I'm going all over the place here is because I need you to lead. I need you to understand how I got there, how long I was on Suboxone, and and why I came off. It's very important I tell you this story. One of the things that had happened was when I came off the Cymbalta, my ex-wife had fled from Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and I remember, you know, last podcast I had said I didn't see my children for six months, and that was an error. Uh, what I meant by that is I unfortunately had supervised visits by Child Protective Services for a period of six months. That's when I was able to finally get my children back and no longer have to have those supervised visits. But that's what leads me to the reason why I got off the box. And let me start by saying, though, when I came off the symbolter and my ex-wife fled from Mr. Joe's neighborhood, I was in a pretty wild state of mind for a while. Now, I had explained to you that my oldest son, Junior, he suffers from ulcerative colitis as well as Crohn's. And he was young at the time. And what I did discover is when my ex-wife had fled from Mr. Joe's neighborhood, she failed to take his medication along. And I remember calling her like a a maniac. You didn't take his medicine, he's going to die, you know, a little bit dramatic, but... He was on very, very important medication, and I knew that that medication, which was to be refrigerated, was still in the refrigerator, and we were now going on two, three, four, five, six days in which I had not seen my family, and I knew my son was not getting his medication. And that is deadly for somebody who suffers from those particular disorders and autoimmune diseases. So I particularly remember threatening my ex-wife because again bipolar disorder you know substance abuse um... at the time even though i wasn't taking any any drugs at all i was clean guys i was on suboxone so remember i had been clean for three years at this point or close to it at least okay Um, i i threatened my ex-wife and i said i'm gonna call child protective services on you that's what i'm gonna do you're not taking care of our son and There was, you know, a couple of reasons why I did that. I was hopeful that she'd bring my children back to me. Um, You know, I, I was angry. I had all kinds of emotions, and I really didn't think too much of it. But what is amazing is through all of this, I was still able to function and go to work. So I remember making those threats, and maybe a day or two later, I had been out at work in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and at the time, I had been working with children with autism, and I had been providing private consultation in their homes. And I owned, I actually owned a lizard at the time. I know this is a little all over the place, guys, but it, it's going to make sense. I remember coming home from work, and on the way home, I stopped at a pet store because lizards eat crickets. And I had picked up a bag of crickets, came into my house, I was very very sad you know I came into an empty house and although my ex-wife and I did not get along there was never really a time when we did get along I saw my beautiful children's faces every single day now I'm not proud of some of the drugs that I did um, you know while my children were around um, very embarrassing but uh, they were my kids and you know whether I was high or whether I wasn't high I was taking care of my children Um, to the best of my ability, at least. And, um, you know, other than one particular time in which I actually went to go buy that lizard, ironically, (laughs) I never actually thought about this, but the story I gave you guys, and I believe I gave it to you in either Cocaine 101 or Alcohol 101, when I had poor Sarah Lee in the back seat and uh, I went to go purchase cocaine, she had a lizard. Well, I came in that particular night to feed the lizard. And I remember pouring the crickets into the cage, and just watching the lizard go about his business eating the crickets. And all of a sudden, I hear a knock on. Two police officers, or sheriffs actually, two sheriffs from Mister Joe's neighborhood, and um, they, they, you know, they they say, Are "You Joe," and I say, "Yeah, Mister Joe." And they walk in and they say. Uh, you're going to have to leave this house. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is my home. They said, Well, sorry, you're going to have to get in your car. You're going to have to leave now. At the time, what I failed to mention is I actually had um, before I one of the things that I used to do when I would come home, and this was happened to be a late session that I was working this consultative session. One of the first things I did was I take out my contact lenses. I get comfortable, um, and I remember that. I had not been able to really find my glasses. I don't know why, but I'm blind as a bat. You know, Mr. Joe is blind as a bat. And, uh, you know, so in speaking to these sheriffs, I was, you know, blind as a bat in speaking to them, but they indicated to me that my ex-wife had um, gotten an order of protection against me. Um, And that order of protection was also filed by the state because two children were involved. And although she didn't press charges or any kind, any, any criminal charges. She went to court and she got an order of protection and I was asked to leave my home and the, the children were taken over kind of by the state because you know that's just what happens with family court and I was told that I had to leave and uh, I said I don't know where you want me to go. So uh, I actually had a dog at the time and I put a little shih tzu in a car with me, drove to my parents' house, with no glasses and uh, I actually could not see. It was very, very dangerous and, um, you know, uh, that's that's what I did. I ended up going to my parents' house and, you know, for the next couple of months, six months to be exact, what ended up happening was we spent four of those six months very, very angry at my ex-wife. Um, You know, not really taking any kind of responsibility for my actions whatsoever, especially with two alcoholic parents who I would watch drink every single night. It was not the right environment for me at all. They were not supportive. They disliked my wife or ex-wife at the time anyway. Um, They would bash her. They would do a lot of things. And, And it took me about four months to realize that the mistakes that I had made and, you know, I sit here and I say, there is a part of me that does believe that my ex-wife, because I had threatened CPS on her, she went ahead and made that um, order of protection call and kind of made sure she protected herself first. Whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. What I do know is what she ended up accomplishing was changing the course of my life in the sense where I had really hit rock bottom and I wanted to take care of myself now here is where the interesting thing about suboxone comes in I had still been on the suboxone and I was on the suboxone up until I ended up going back into the home with my ex-wife so I could not take it anymore guys the end of my reign so-called reign of living with my parents was such a nightmare I mean The day that I had court six months into the whole situation and I was permitted to go back to my home, so to speak, I packed up my car faster than you could even imagine. And my ex-wife was not happy about it because we had talked previously about me slowly coming back into the home, but I was so, so impulsive and so upset about, about being away from my children but equally as to being with my parents and seeing the type of life that they lived and, you know, the bling that they put on everybody but me. Everybody was wrong but me. I, I, I could not get out of there fast enough. So right out of court, um, when I had proved that, you know, and I had to go to counseling and, um, you know, it was group therapy and all that, they, they put me into a program, and that program continued three months um, after I left my parents, so for a period of nine months, it continued altogether. Uh, but I could not get to my to my other, you know, my home fast enough. I had to get out of there. I packed that whole car up, and I was there that very day that I left family court. Now, here's where I get to the Suboxone story. S- Child Protective Services, uh, you know, they would visit, and they would come. Uh, I, I believe it was on a weekly basis in the beginning, and I will never forget that when I had first gotten to the, back to the house, one of the things Child Protective Services told me was that, as far as they were concerned, the fact that I was still on Suboxone meant that I was not clean. That's what they told me. They said, you are on Suboxone, and as far as we're concerned, that is a crutch, you are still on a drug, and until you get off Suboxone, we are not going to leave this case. We're going to continue to monitor you. (laughs) Wow. So, now listen, I had been on Suboxone for three years, so the time had come. And uh, it was very important for me to get off it because, you know, it it was overkill, guys. And, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you something that will help you to explain the absolute misery that I went through. Because at this point in time now, I want you to all know that I had completely left my job. Um, you know what my ex-wife had ended up doing because I had worked with children you know I had to prove myself now while I did not lose any licenses or certifications um, I had to quit my job because I was I was deathly afraid that somebody was gonna do a child abuse registry registry check at one time or another and then my name would get out there in public and people would know that mr. Joe was not able to provide children with services so I ended up quitting my job. Um, and, you know, that was a whole other battle that I had to fight in what was called administrative court. Um, and, you know, I came to find out when I went to administrative court that I actually could have been working all along, which was also something Child Protective Services had misled me to believe. They told me that if anybody checked my name, my name would come up in the registry. That was not true. You are innocent until proven guilty, not only in a court of law but in an administrative court. Um, So I ended up clearing my name once and for all. Um, And and here's the thing, guys. I had to find another job. And uh, I had stopped taking the Suboxone uh, three days before I ended up having a job interview. And, and, you know, this I did not time at all. (laughs) This was not my plan. Uh, So... I could tell you that I stopped taking Suboxone, and I stopped, and three days later, I had to go for a job interview, and it was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to deal with in my life. I was called back for a second interview and a third interview before I actually got the job, and each interview was worse than the last, and you'll understand why in a little while, um, because of the withdrawals. You know, One of the things that I mentioned in my overall podcast description is my 188 uh, day withdrawal that I went through. And what it comes down to, everybody, is it took me exactly 188 days to feel better uh, uh, after coming off Suboxone. Now, the genius psychiatrist who helped me get off Suboxone, here's what he told me. He said, Mr. Joe, he said you're on one milligram of Suboxone. Here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to take it today, not take it tomorrow, take it the next day, not take it tomorrow, take it the next day, not take it tomorrow, and then each day, you know, maybe try to go two days, then take it. Try to go three days, then take your one milligram. Try to go four days, and so on and so on. And I looked at this man, I said, I don't think this is going to work. And he goes, the truth be told, Mr. Joe, you're only on one milligram you can just jump off right now and anything that you experience is going to be psychological and you're not going to have any withdrawal symptoms whatsoever (laughs) well let me tell you what I have in front of me guys is a uh, post that I had written uh, quite some time ago Um, and it was a post in on the internet I had reached out for help because jumping off one milligram of Suboxone was not at any way shape or form what this doctor had described it would be. So I think it's going to be the best, the best way for me to go about this is to read this post that I had written and uh, it, it appears to me that uh, when, I, when I wrote this post I was act- exactly 106 days off Suboxone at the time. Okay. So I wasn't at my 188. Remember, 188 is when I actually felt good. 188 days is when I felt good. Okay. So here we go. Bear with me, guys. I don't like reading on my podcast, but it's very important that I do. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, here I finally am. 106 days off Suboxone, and I have finally found the strength to write. First off, I want to thank all of you, as this forum has gotten me through some of my roughest days. With many of you, I feel as if I know you personally. I have never found the strength to actually respond to anyone, as most of the times I was searching to figure out if I felt was what was normal. Never in my life did I think my journey would be so difficult. I honestly thought that I could stop Suboxone and be fine about 15 days later. Boy, was I wrong. I guess if I would have read posts before I actually came off, I would have realized the hell of a ride I was in for. I am not writing this post to scare anyone, although I assume I might certainly do so for those of you who are deciding to come off, because truth be told, if I would have known this is what I was in store for, I probably would have never followed through with my taper plan and jumped off the way that I did. First of all, it's very important for all of you to know that I was on Suboxone for exactly two years and 11 months. So let's just say three years. The last year, I was on about two milligrams for eight months. I went down to one milligram, which resulted in a maximum of only three days of withdrawals, which included minor anxiety and stomach issues, and then I immediately stabilized. I remained on one milligram for about two months and then the last month, I decided to taper off. So here we go, guys. I was actually a little bit wrong in terms of what I did. I actually must have um, not listened to my doctor's advice. So I apologize for that. You know, my memory doesn't serve me correctly all the time, guys. So here's, here's the way I tape it off. I went from 1 milligram to 0.75 to 0.50 and down to 0.25, dropping 0.25 milligrams every two weeks or so. I believe I rushed the 0.50 to the 0.25 too quickly, as that was only about four days of the 0.50, and then I immediately went to the 0.25. And then from there, I jumped off at 0.25 milligrams, only after about four days of being on the 0.25. All in all, I think I tapered much too quickly, but after three years, I was determined to be done with it. Now. Here's where I made a mistake, guys. I remember my doctor telling me to jump off at one milligram, and me saying, "No way in hell that I am doing that. I am not following his advice." And my goodness, I think it's probably good that I didn't, um, because if if I if what you're about to hear, if I experienced that .25 jumping off, you know, um, God only knows what I would have went through. Now, before I continue, I want you also to know that this the forum I don't want to scare anybody because what I went through is not typical for everybody that comes off Suboxone please understand that as a matter of fact I am right now weaning off and I'm going extremely slow and although I do have withdrawal symptoms here I am I'm able to function I'm able to work and I am not going through anything like I went through last time I mean And I'm talking, guys, right now I went from a milligram, one milligram to 0.75. I'm on a little less than, and that was about a month where I slowly tapered off. I'm probably a little bit lower than 0.75 now. I've been doing this for a period of at least 20 days. So I will give everybody a proper taper plan. Don't worry about that. We will do that at another period in time um, in, in terms of, uh, coming off suboxin and what works for me. So anyway, let me continue. Another important thing to note, I was doing all of this while I was searching for a new job. I actually had my second interview of day six of no Suboxone, and to this day, I still don't know how I made it through. But I did, and I also got the job, and I work there as of today. I was also, and this is a joke, I mean, wait till you hear this, guys. I mean, this is where my brain was at the time. I mean, here I was, I thought I was normal. I was also misdiagnosed about five years ago with bipolar disorder. (laughs) Uh, Wrong. I was not misdiagnosed. I was on and off all types of meds for years, and I came off my last med in August of 2011. I had never felt better in my life, as I had given myself a full six months to monitor my mental health off the medication. So in February of 2012 a hundred and six days ago I decided it was now time to jump the last hurdle in my life the Suboxone here's some of what I have gone through and I am still going through we all know about the basic acute stuff of course I had it I can honestly say that I had diarrhea for sixty straight days my stomach is still not right as I will go to the bathroom many times in the morning only to be able to bind myself Once I eat a banana, and by the way, guys, I used to drive to work, and I used to have to find locations for me to go to the bathroom, okay? That wasn't in my little note that I wrote in the forum. I just want you to know that I would never be able to make it to work without having to stop at least three or four times on the way. I'd have to find a McDonald's, a Burger King, whatever it was. It was was absolutely disgusting, okay, because I, I could not hold it in, okay? So um, here we go, uh, after the banana part, okay, in addition, and guys, this was one of the worst things that I experienced, I also had the chills for about 80 days straight, I still get them every once in a while, although they have subsided for the most part, by far, the worst part of all of this has been the depression, I cried for the first 60 days and contemplated suicide many times. I have no idea how I went to a new job, as many times I would cry my eyes out in the shower before work, yet sometimes, so yet somehow my mind would clear up by mid-afternoon. The mornings were always the worst, and they still are, in terms of my anxiety. The entire first week of work, I also had all the sleep issues as I was only getting one to two hours of sleep per night. Awake all night long until work time with my heart beating out of my chest. I was determined to stay off an antidepressant, but things got so bad I needed one. I have now been on Wellbutrin for 61 days and I no longer have the dreaded depression. So Wellbutrin saved me there, guys. Once I started the Wellbutrin, it took about two weeks, and the depression lifted. Don't get me wrong, I am nowhere near myself, but I am also not crying, and I no longer want to die. In addition, the Wellbutrin helped me quit smoking, two months now with no cigarettes, and it has given me the desire to push through all of this and know that one day these pause, post-acute withdrawal symptoms, will be over. I guess my question is, will this ever end? I always thought going to the gym and lifting weights would make things better, better, but I have tracked all my workouts. And thus far, I have tried lifting weights on three separate occasions, and all three times, I was severely depressed for about one to do two days afterwards. Very strange, right, guys? I actually felt the chemicals in my brain drop to a lower level. Not sure if anybody can relate to that. I thought the anxiety was a thing of the past, but it has reared its ugly head again for the past three days, and I can't seem to shake it. I have this feeling as if I am nervous about everything, a lot of racing thoughts and moments where I feel as if I'm back to day 20 off Suboxone. I guess you could say I simply don't feel normal, and I'm afraid I never will. My sleep is still not the greatest, although I really should not complain, as I am out like a light no later than 11 o'clock, And and although I wake up at 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock a.m. every day, I am able to go right back to sleep. By 5 or 6 o'clock a.m., the latest in the morning, I am wide awake, anxious beyond belief, with that impatient kind of feeling, almost kind of restless, and not sure what to do. Again, nowhere near where it used to be, as I used to shake like a leaf with depression and nervousness, simply waiting at the bus stop with my beautiful children. Now, because I am not depressed along with it, I can handle the feeling, but I guess it really reminds me of what I once felt like, and it scares the living hell out of me. I know I am rambling, and I sincerely apologize. I guess what I'm asking, does my life ever become normal again? Will I ever be able to wake up and not think about how I feel off Suboxone? Will I ever be able to stop counting days? One hundred and six days, and I am simply not sure of myself, if that makes any sense. I am still confused, anxious, and chilly at times. Thanks to everyone who reads this." And I'm getting a little bit emotional, everybody, because it was really, really, really rough. And I have to tell you that um, that that continued, that kind of feeling continued. And, um, on, on day 188, I can honestly say that I felt normal again. And, so what, what do I have to tell you? Now, somebody actually did respond, and the response that I got, he was such a great guy, and I, I there's a part of me that wishes I would have written and uh, typed out his response also, printed out his response, because the good news is this gentleman who wrote to me had been on the forum for many, many years, and he had told me that himself and one other person, and myself, so three altogether, were the only three people he had known in about probably five to seven years of being in that forum that had ever experienced the withdrawal to the extent that i did guys the depression was just i mean i used to cry cry the entire drive to work i would cry the minute i got out of my car the minute from the walk from my car to the office uh, i would walk into the bathroom i would pull myself together and um, you know uh, other things that went along with it that I don't make mention I mean the confusion that I had the inability to concentrate you know you feel like you're constantly constantly in a fog so you know it's just just unbelievable the way that I felt now here we go I actually printed out part 2 now part 2 what part 2 is is my most recent post which I found myself writing again because guys I came off Suboxone and you would think hundred and eighty eight days it took this man to feel better. What in the world is he doing being back on Suboxone? So here you go. I cannot believe it's 2017 and I am back in the same exact position I once was. Hello all. As you can see from this post I made it through the Suboxone withdrawal. In fact I used to brag about how on day 188 I felt normal again. Well. Here I am again, about two years and three months into a Suboxone habit once again. I have remained clean for several years after jumping off Suboxone back in 2012. However, illegal street drugs usage once again brought me back to the Suboxone use. Although I did not use, I was having horrible thoughts of using. About a month into my cocaine thoughts... And storming, every, and storming and raiding every pill cabinet in America, I realized at 40 years old, I cannot go down this road again. So, guys, it's important to know that I had never had a relapse, okay? But I did have my old stash of Suboxone. I am now remarried with a third child and happier than ever. However, I knew this vicious cycle of drug abuse, or the thoughts of drug abuse, had to end quickly. So I reached for my old, my old Suboxone prescription. While I have been clean since, I now find myself right back where I was. I worked so hard to come off everyone. So hard. So it's 2017 and here I am again, down to one milligram per day after weeding down from two milligrams per day. My withdrawals lasted only two days along the dreaded stomach and the chills, although the dreaded stomach and the chills are here. I am currently on one milligram and scared to death to do another thing right now. I plan on waiting it out to see if someone reads this post, as I definitely will need a ton of support again. I would like to make sure I'm posting in the right section. Um, Thank you to everyone. I feel like a total failure, and I'm embarrassed, to be honest. Any feedback would be welcomed. However, you may want to read my original post for some background. Uh, By the way, I am 42... Uh, on Suboxone again for two years, as I mentioned, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And, wow, I could say without a doubt that I was also wrong. Oh, here, thank goodness. Uh, I was also wrong about being misdiagnosed. I claimed not to have bipolar in 2012. Well, let me tell you, that was incorrect. (laughs) After five years without bipolar meds, there is no doubt I suffer from the illness. However, I am able to manage stress much better, and I do believe I am one of the rare patients that actually does better off medication with bipolar, or at least I have not found the correct medicine. Um, There is a part of me that wonders if I come off this Suboxone, will I be right back where I was doing drugs again once I feel better in 188 days. I am so lost. Well, a couple of things to take out of that, guys. First and foremost, uh, I, I am not one of those people that could survive without medication on bipolar. <laughs> so there, there's, that, there's that irrational mind thinking, you know, that mind off of medication. Um, just, just absurd that I even thought along those lines. Um, but here's what I will say. I am slowly coming off the Suboxone. Now I know this is not possible for everybody because a lot of times people do not have the proper prescription um, or at least supply in order to do exactly what I'm doing, but if you plan on coming off box, and I think it's very important, and I am not going to sit here and advocate for people to um, stash medication because you know it's almost immoral to say that. But uh, guys, it's kind of what you have to do. In my in my unless you're going to pay a doctor. To guide you through this practice, and I have seen quite a few Suboxone doctors—three to be exactly—and they all, one was worse than the last. None of them were able to guide me appropriately. Actually, I've seen four suboxin doctors, and one was more of a moron than the last. Um, you know, each one would tell me, "Jump off at one, do this, do that." None of them gave me good advice. I'm going to tell you right now, none of them at all. Um, now, they, they cost a lot of money. So, you know, if you want to work with a doctor and and have them monitor you, I'm okay with that. You know, just understand that it's going to cost you money. With me, guys, what I ended up doing was about three months before I had decided that I was going to quit or at least start cutting my dose, um, I I, I cut my dose without telling my doctor, and I had told him that I was on a much higher dose than I was. Um, And I had nothing to worry about because this man did not check urine I could have been abusing drugs you know not everybody's gonna be in that position which I was not abusing drugs I was clean I was you know legit Um and because I was doing everything right um, in that aspect I said man this guy's robbing me blind you know he does there were times when the man did not even speak to me he would just come in say you still on the eight milligrams I'd say yep uh, I would say yeah take it one in the morning one in the afternoon okay here's your prescription have fun I'd walk out within five minutes. I'd get a text message from my local pharmacy. Your prescription is ready. I go, I pick it up. And about three months before I knew I was ready to quit, maybe even a little bit uh, longer than that, um, you know, I was telling this doctor that I was taking a certain amount that was incorrect and I was stashing away my medication. That's the way I did it. I'm not recommending that you go ahead and do that. Um, But I will tell you that my doctor would have been of no help in order for me to get off this medication. So. I have a very large stash of this Suboxone. And um, what I am doing is, uh, you know, uh, the, the Suboxone comes in an 8-milligram strip. It also comes in a 2-milligram strip, which I don't have any of those. So I'm working with an 8-milligram strip. And for those of you who are maybe thinking of coming off Suboxone, again, the first thing you got to remember is you need a supply. You need a supply to work with, okay? Um, what I'm doing right now is I... Very easy, an 8-milligram strip, bam. You break it up into uh, 8 equal parts, and that's 1 milligram, okay? Um, you got to work yourself down to that, okay? Believe it or not, it's a lot easier to get down to the 1 milligram. You want to go from 8 to 6. You want to go from 8 to 6, from 6 to 4, from 4 to 2. I'm okay with that. Okay, you are probably going to experience withdrawal symptoms when you make those jumps, but they won't be so bad, guys. You will stabilize. Uh, it's gonna. I, I would recommend that as you take those jumps, and I'm okay with those big jumps of 2 milligrams, believe it or not, because we're usually on a lot higher of a dose than we think we are, and it's a lot of it's mind over matter when you're taking those big jumps, the 8 to the 6 to the 4 to the 2. Uh, what I would say is you probably don't want to do it every two weeks. Um, if you could, uh, believe it. I would say, God, if you could, you know, three weeks maximum. Um, if you could, if you could do the two weeks, God bless you. You know and what I mean by that? You're on eight milligrams. Cut down to six. Stay on that for a minimum of two weeks. I would rather you stay on it for three. Okay. Uh, three weeks passes cut your dose again to the four milligrams stay that on for two to three weeks cut your dose to two okay i will tell you this when i went from two milligrams to one i only had three days of withdrawals and what i mean by that is i had them all guys i had a little bit of depression the anxiety um you know it's all there it was all there Um, and then what I ended up doing was once I got down to one milligram, that's what I ended up working with. And that's where you want to get to. You have your eight milligram strip, cut it into eight pieces. And, um, I actually, after eight days, what I ended up doing was I took a little cuticle scissor and I cut just a little strip off that eight milligram, um, the, the, the entire eight milligram strip. I made it just a little bit smaller and then I broke that up into eight equal pieces. I remained on that for eight days, okay? And um, you know, I had that little strip left over. It's important you keep that little strip because you wanna compare the next time that you cut your eight milligram strip again, you wanna go just a little bit smaller. Um, Now, again, I don't have exact numbers for you because it's all by eye, it really is. You're not doing it wrong if you're doing it by eye. What you wanna do is make sure that each time you're cutting a little bit more, okay? Um, You know, if you even have uh, two strips to work with, you could almost use one as an example, if that makes sense. So, you know, you cut them both the exact same size. You break one into eight milligram strips. The other one is almost your model, so that the next time around when you cut your next strip, you have your model there for you, so you know exactly how much to cut off. You want to make it smaller. I don't care how much smaller. Whatever you're geared up for, you make that a little bit smaller. Now I'm feeling it, guys. There's no doubt about it. Okay, I will tell you, it's really, really rough for me. Uh, one of the rough things for me. The other thing I would recommend is if you're dosing twice, you, you got to stop. You got to stop dosing because to this day I still feel. Um, I used to dose in the, you know, I would dose in the morning, and I still do. My eyes are bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Um, you know, it's it's kind of late right now. Um, I, I will actually start going into withdrawals. Uh, right before bed I'll start to yawn my jaw will start to crack those are some of the withdrawal symptoms that I start to have Um, and I just get to bed okay and and unfortunately I have restless sleep all night Uh, but you kinda get used to it Uh, the good thing is there's no anxiety associated with it so I'm able to do it and plus I'm urinating so much from the Lamictal that I'm up anyway so my sleep is definitely disturbed and then by 5 a.m. I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed but what I can tell you is you got to eliminate that second dose if you're taking it because you will search for that for a little while, you know. And still to this day, um, I get a little bit of anxiety around 3 o'clock because that's when I used the dose. Nothing major, though, everybody. kind of go, you know, a couple of minutes, it goes away, and, and that's it. Um, so little by little, um, I will say that about every 8 days, I will cut that strip off, that 8-milligram strip, cut a little bit more each time now this last time around I am um, I'm staying on the same dose for about 16 days uh, and, and, and I did that I chose to do that because I am I, I upped my Lamictal um, just recently and it would have been the exact time um, when I upped my Lamictal I was due to actually cut a little bit more off that eight milligram strip I chose not to I said You know what, let me battle one thing at a time here. I never know how I'm going to react when I up my Lamictal. So I wanted to make sure um, that, you know, I just stayed on this same dosage of Suboxone. But you best believe um, in another eight days when I'm ready to cut my new strip into eight equal pieces, I am going to make sure that I compare this strip to the last strip the model that I have and make sure that I cut it a little bit less. Or, like I said, if you don't have enough to make a model, you know, take a look at the last piece that you cut. You know, you always want to take a look at the last piece that you cut and make the next piece bigger. Obviously, you're going to cut off the 8-milligram strip each time a little bit more, so each piece is going to be bigger. So That's all you got to do is save that last strip, okay? Or you could save them all if you'd like, um, because there may come a time where you need an emergency dose, depending on what you have to do in life. I'd rather you not take that, but we will talk about that during another period in time. Um, I didn't actually plan on giving you guys my whole regimen and what I'm doing right now. But you know what? I did, and I'm glad that I did. Um, I have second thoughts about this podcast. I'm not gonna de- I'm certainly not going to delete it. Um, it's important for you guys. I, I think one of the reasons why I'm struggling with it and, and wondering whether or not it came out okay is because I know a lot of you who are listening to my episodes are probably not taking Suboxone. Um, so I wanted to make sure, um, you know, that I hit hit a few things to keep everybody interested. I know this, that the people that are on Suboxone, um, they're going to love this. I mean, this is going to be an episode that is definitely going to be one of, that people are going to listen to a lot. People might listen to it over and over again, and I, and I suggest that you do. Um, I ask everybody, please, if you have questions, reach out to me, email me. The email address is very, very simple it, it's, it's Mr. Joe BP, at BP, at yahoo.com. Okay, very, very simple. You could also find me on Twitter. Okay, um, Twitter is. Um, Mr. Bipolar Joe, very very simple as well. Um, so that's it, guys. I did a lot of talking tonight. I hope that everybody enjoyed this. I really really do. I know I certainly enjoy talking to you guys tonight. I always I always love um, doing this podcast. It it brings me so much joy to be helping you guys. Uh, I, I think next time we're going to concentrate on bipolar again. Okay, that's that's what we're going to talk about next time, guys. Bipolar. We're going to definitely touch base on some bipolar. Uh, you guys have a great night. Thank you for listening again to Mister Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Bipolar podcast. It's getting late, guys. God bless. Thank you again, and have a great night. Hello and welcome to the January 16th, 2018 episode of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is my neighborhood, this is my life, but this is our podcast journey. Tonight on Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, we're going to be speaking about borderline personality disorder. Welcome everybody, can't wait to talk.